started this morning, thank you all for uh, the prayers um, that you've offered for me and condolences for my family. As uh, probably many of you, most of you probably know about the, the sudden passing of my stepfather just a few days ago. And many of you made the trip down to Sunrise Baptist Church yesterday in Bonterre. And I'm really grateful for, for all the kind words and the prayers for my family. If you would uh, continue to pray for my mom. Um, it's going to be a difficult transition for her, but we praise God. Um, the last conversation that I had with my stepdad uh, before he passed away was about 2 Corinthians chapter 5. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, um, interestingly enough. And so he had been thinking about that, and we're grateful to God because of the gospel, right? And um, that he is uh, right now with Jesus. So I'm super grateful for that. But thank you for all your love and your compassion uh, over the last uh, week and a half for my family. As we look at this uh, passage of scripture today, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It reminds me a little bit of what I saw the other day um, online. I saw a video of a bulldozer driving through a field in the Ukraine. And the reason it was driving through the field was because there were landmines everywhere. And it was detonating those landmines as it was going through the field. 1 Corinthians 11 is a little bit like that. There are landmines everywhere if this passage is not applied correctly and accurately. So I'm thinking about that a little bit this morning as we look at 1 Corinthians 11. But being in children's ministry for over 20 years now, um, in one capacity or another, my love for kids uh, in the local church has, has never waned or changed. And when I look at kids today, and I look at what's going on in our culture especially, there's so much confusion in our culture today. And as we talk about worship this morning in this series, the thing we're going to talk about this morning, and Paul delineates about in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, is gender in worship. And you might be thinking, oh boy, now I see where the landmines are coming. There's confusion coming from every direction from very loud voices. Confusion from many different directions. It's almost unheard of for kids at one capacity or another to not be involved or engaged in social media of some kind today. And those voices from social media many times are pushing content that is detrimental to the thinking of the minds of our youth. The French Enlightenment writer Voltaire once said, and listen, he was no friend of Christianity, but he understood this very well. He said this once, those who can make you believe in absurdities can make you commit atrocities. Did you hear that? Those who can make you believe in absurdities can make you commit atrocities. What did he mean? He meant that once you get used to accepting what you're told without questioning it, no matter how absurd you lose the ability to understand what good or bad is. We've seen this a lot in our culture today. In fact, as it relates to gender, we've seen an ideology that's been pressed in on our kids today that has led to the mutilation of healthy bi bodies by kids who are struggling to understand who they are. Now, when my kids were little, uh, so we're talking 10, 15 years ago, I had this little book that <clears throat> we bought at a bookstore that they really liked. How many of your kids liked Elmo? Okay, Elmo was kind of a thing back in the day. <clears throat> and I bought this little book, and it was called Elmo Opposites, okay? And in the book, you open a page, and it says on one page, you see that Elmo hits the light switch, and the lights are on. 
And then on this page, he turns the light switch off and it's dark. This is light, this is dark. And then you've got a picture of a kid playing outside and <clears throat> this is dirty outside. And then the kid's in a bathtub and he's getting clean. And this is clean. Elmo Opposites was really helpful when my kids were little. But today at the highest levels of society, we don't have politicians, leaders, or even pastors in many cases who can clearly make the distinction between male and female. 1 Corinthians 11 is going to talk about this today. Now, we'll attempt to drive through this field of landmines together in 1 Corinthians 11, so put on your seatbelt. And if you've ever watched Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom, there's this great scene where short round, tell, short round he tells Willie, whenever Indiana Jones is about to cut down the bridge, hold on, lady, we're going for a ride, okay? So hold on. If you would stand, please, we're going to read 1 Corinthians 11. Verses 1 through 16. Paul says this, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. Verse 7. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and the glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Verse 10. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. And all things are from God. Verse 13. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Let's all pray together. (laughs) Uh, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, um, God, that uh, you lay forth truth in your word. Sometimes it can be a little hard to get at because of geography, because of the historical differences, the cultural things, the language. But we pray, uh, Lord, today, I pray uh, specifically right now that you would help me to do a good job with this text. It seems like I need a whole week to expound on every little Greek word that's going on here, but help us to get the gist of this. Help us to understand and to apply the principles here in ways that would apply accurately and would bring you glory because this is all about worship and worshiping of you the way you want to be worshiped as man and woman, as male and female. And so, Lord, we pray that you would just give us clarity today, that you would help us to understand your word better. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. 
At the beginning of this text, there's a rare moment for the Corinthians. In fact, some of them may have been jumping up and down because the first couple of verses, Paul says this. He's happy with them about how they've dealt with the issue of distinctions between sexes. He's not been happy with the Corinthians, and if you read the letter, he's getting on them quite a bit. But here, Paul says, he commends them for handling of this topic and also takes the opportunity to extrapolate why. Paul's going to give them background and insight as to why this distinction between male and female exists. So if you're taking notes today on the app, the big thought is this. The distinctions that God created in man and woman from the beginning are for our good. When we honor God through these distinctions, we worship him in spirit and in truth. First point this morning, men should act like men and women should act like women in verses three through seven. Now, we've got to be very careful with the landmines here. We don't want to over-apply this text or under-apply this text. Over-applying this text would be looking at this text woodenly. Meaning, and if you noticed this morning that Heather Kaufman came up and she prayed for us and she didn't have her head covered. Did anyone notice that this morning after we read this text? And Heather's like, oh great, it had to be my morning to pray, right? Well, we don't want to apply this text woodenly and I'll extrapolate here on what that means. Over-applying would mean every woman must have her head covered, no exceptions in the church. But we know that cultures operate differently. Verse three says, I want you to know that Christ is the head of every man, the man is the head of the woman, and God is the head of Christ. This order is what leads to Paul's next thought about head covering. So order and the way that God created things has to be reflected in how we worship, but it can look different in different places. Every man who prays or prophesies with something on his head dishonors his head. And every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since that is one and the same as having her head shaved. Now, why would this be? Well, in the ancient world, if a woman was caught in adultery, she would have her head shaved. The whole point that Paul is trying to make here is that when we come before the Lord we got to come before the Lord in a way that brings him honor and reflects the glory that he made us in as he created us both male and female. So we shouldn't blur the distinctions of male and female before God in worship. In doing that, it is sinful. Men shouldn't be acting like women, and women shouldn't be acting like men. Now, does that require a head covering? Absolutely not. It's going to look different in different cultures. The big picture here is this, and it may, vo- it may vary from culture to culture, is that the distinctions should be there. Men should act like men. Women should act like women. Now, we can't under-apply this text either. Why are the head coverings matter? It matters because it demonstrates to us that there is a difference in how women come before God and how men come before God, and that's important. Under-applying this text would be saying that this text has no application for us today. And that can't be true because the principle of male and female distinction is rooted, according to Paul, in the creation order. The problem, again, with a wooden interpretation about the head coverings is that cultures really do have their own customs. And we see this reflected again before the letter of the 1 Corinthians is over. Now, here's what I mean. 
1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 20. As Paul is ending the letter to the Corinthians, he says this. He says, listen, all the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Okay? Now, I'm here to tell you, I love to see Don Lipsy on Sunday mornings. But if I walk up to Don Lipsy next Sunday morning and I kiss that brother on the cheek, I might get tagged right between the running lights, if you know what I mean. Okay? Not culturally appropriate. I think everybody here would agree. Now, I'm not going to kiss any of you guys in the room, or girls, except my wife, right? It's not culturally accepted. But in Paul's day, it was very much accepted. In fact, I remember just a few years ago in 2006, I was over in the Holy Land and I was in Jordan. And this is a custom that you still see a lot today. Even in European countries, you'll see this a lot. Guys will kiss each other on the cheek. doesn't mean anything at all. In our culture, what is that? It's weird, right? We just don't do it. I'll tell you something else. In a very stiff culture in other ways is the Fulani culture in West Africa. Um, you know, women actually do have to go into those villages with their heads covered uh, to honor Allah, right? Okay, but here's something that's really unique and weird. If you're really good friends with the chief, which I'm good friends with Mamadou in West Africa, I'm walking in a field with Mamadou, he grabs my hand and he holds it. We swing our hands like this, okay? To me, that's as awkward as it gets. But to Mamadou, all that means is we're friends, so to pull away from him, right, in his culture would be to be slighting him in some way or dishonoring to him when all he's trying to do is to honor me as a friend. You understand what I'm saying? Like cultures have their traditions. So it's not as much about the head covering as it is about recognizing that male-female distinctions exist in every culture. They should be recognized and when we come before God, those things exist and they're okay and that's our way to worship God. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I was in uh, Nepal, and do we have any of those pictures up there? Yeah, this is, this is a little guy named Samson, and uh, Samson was a cute little kid. He was at church, and I, I took a quick picture of Samson because um, Samson had earrings in both of his ears, which is common for Nepali children. In fact, you'll notice uh, with Pastor Joshua, with his little boy, you know, that's probably just two years old, he has those little earrings, well, that may not look appropriate. We usually do that with little girls in our culture, in American culture, and you, you can tell. In fact, he's so young, you have to look kind of close to try to figure out. But in their culture, that's a normal thing. In fact, uh, do we have the next? I don't know if I have the next picture. Yeah, well, let's go back. <laughs> let's save Sean Connery there. Okay, but here was the other interesting thing about little Samson. Now, now listen, he's got the name Samson. Right? He's got these two little earrings, but you know what else about Samson? I, apparently, I didn't put that uh, picture in there. His toenails were painted, which was not a weird thing in their culture at all, but you don't see that in the men. Catch what I'm saying? There's a point when that becomes inappropriate and those distinctions become really weird in that culture. But they have those things culturally in place so that you can see those gender distinctions. But as he's young, it doesn't matter. Now, something else in our culture, let's go ahead and go to that next slide. That wouldn't be culturally appropriate. You're never gonna catch me in one of these, right? Because it would just make me feel weird. But in certain traditions, right, the kilt is actually a sign of manhood, right? So again, it's not about the head covering per se, 
It's about how we understand male and female distinctions. And listen, that is important. That is important because it is the building block of the family. And the family is the building block of the society. And the society and the family are the building blocks of a healthy church. You understand that? It's an important thing what we teach today. Who's more manly than Sean Connery, right? Even though he's wearing a dress. The problem with underapplying here would be to say that the scriptures have nothing to say on the topic, and that's just not true. The scriptures do speak to this topic over and over again. If there was ever a time for the scriptures to speak clearly, now would be a time in a confused culture about how we worship God as men and women. Women's Health Magazine recently said this, when people have gender reveal parties, it really should be called genital reveal parties because the concept of gender is a social construct. And we know what the truth is here is that genitals and gender, guess what? Go together and are not the antithesis of one another. That's what the scriptures teach. So knowing this, if head coverings aren't the distinctions in worship for us here at Canaan, how do we make practical application as we drive through this field full of minds? What would it look like for us to make sure that those distinctions exist as God's people and we bring God worship as male and female? I think number one, first of all, that uh, naturally we would in general as believers respect the creation order and dress biologically appropriate. If you're a female, meaning you have female biology, don't try to look like a male. And if you are a male, meaning you have male biology, then don't try to look like a female. Celebrate and be thankful for the way God has made you. Let your life correspond to your biological, the truth that exists in your body biologically. Men, enjoy your masculinity. Women, enjoy your femininity. Today, the culture throws around the world word toxic masculinity all the time, but there's really no definition to that which means that it's being used as a weapon many times to intimidate men into not being masculine. There's nothing wrong with being masculine. There's nothing wrong with being feminine. Don't buy the hype. We also believe, of course, I think naturally from this scripture, we could extrapolate that there is structure within the home. The scriptures also teach us that the husband is the head of his house. That means he's responsible to love his wife as Christ loved the church and laid his life down for her. He's responsible for providing and protecting both physically and spiritually for his family and accountable to God for that and for his family. The wife is to be in submission to her husband's leadership as he lives with her in an understanding way. Notice, man, it doesn't say in 1 Peter, you have to understand your wife, live with her in an understanding way. I like that. If he doesn't, 1 Peter says this, his prayers will be hindered. So this idea of an overbearing leader, that's not what God's talking about at all. You gotta be willing to die for your wives. It's talking about great sacrifice. We also believe here at Canaan Baptist Church in the offices that the scripture sets forth in the church. So here's another way we might worship God faithfully is that the elders and pastors of the church will always be men. That is a role for men. If we look at 1 Timothy and we look at the book of Titus, which are uh, the pastoral epistles, it sets it forth that the leadership, the primary leadership within the church 
is to be men as pastors. Now, that doesn't mean at all that women don't have the gift of teaching. No way. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 makes that very clear. We encourage and we want and we have, by God's grace, some incredible female teachers in this room, and we want to use you. We want to use you to be missionaries. We want to use you to be missional. We want to use you to reach the nations, just like everybody else in this room. You are sharers of the spiritual gifts of God that are listed in 1 Corinthians 12 and in Romans 12. The office of elder, however, is that one distinct office that is held for men. I don't think I heard one amen, but it's probably time. Yeah. Now, don't take that and misapply it. Again, this is nuanced. Don't apply that across all of life. The Bible doesn't do that. We're talking about in the home right now and in the church. I don't have time to talk about every nuance this morning, but I hope that you're getting the drift. Our roles are to be embraced, celebrated, passed down to the next generation. Number two, distinctions in the sexes is rooted in the creation order pre-fall before the fall of Adam and Eve. Look at verses eight through 12. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. Eve was taken from the side of man and made distinct from him. In fact, the Hebrew words reflect this. The Hebrew word for man is ish, and it says that woman was taken from man, and it's isha, she's called woman. Ish is man, isha is woman, taken from the side of man. Yet that wouldn't mean that those distinctions would separate them from each other completely, but draw them closer to one another as now they have roles to fulfill in their relationship. It would take both of them to make the child that Eve would carry. So as woman was taken and made from man, now male and female coming together leads to a child coming from the female. Because of this creation order, a wife, Paul says, ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. And we see this, of course, reflected in the setup within the family. And it should be reflected at our church. The scripture tells us that before Eve, there was no helper that was found suitable for Adam. The idea be, behind the Hebrew word for suitable is there was no helper, helper found corresponding him. In other words, the lack that he had, there was no way for him to fix that on his own. He needed someone to correspond or to fill in the holes or to do things that he couldn't do so that whenever they came together, they were a completion and they were whole together. There were things that Adam was missing on his own. And this creation of God and Eve would be distinct and helpful for man. So the scriptures tell us the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs, closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made, he fashioned into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is at last, this bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man will leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one 
flesh. Notice in all of this too, when we look at the creation account and we look at the distinctions that exist between the genders, there's no confusion. It's actually quite simple, isn't it? So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is the word of God. God saw everything, and I love this, everything that he had made. And I love this. This is day six. And behold, you ready? He just made male and female. And he said, behold, it was very good. The Hebrew says, tov ma'od, very good. There was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Man and woman were the crowning achievement of God in creation, and it was very good. Man and woman. Jesus reiterates this truth in Matthew, the 19th chapter, verse 4, when he says to the Pharisees, have you not read that he created them from the beginning and he made them male and female? That's what God created. Eve was made to be a complement or helper to Adam. Eve was also blessed to be the mother of all living humans through childbearing. These distinctions should also be witnessed in how we relate to each other and how we carry ourselves. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5 says this, A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak, for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. Why? Because God made these distinctions very clear from the very beginning. And these are things that we need to teach and we need to tell young people about today and help them because our culture, of course, is fighting against these, this idea of the binary that God has created from the very beginning. And listen, it may not affect some of us who are older that much, but our kids are growing up in a world that is ever-changing and they're going to have to stand firm because it may cost them jobs, relationships, to be faithful to God's word, it could cost them greatly in the next few years. So we have to be strong in what we believe, and we have to be loving to a world that is lost. In the city of San Francisco, they recently offered a program to people who identify as transgender. $1,200 every month just because you identify that way. The application has a total on it of 97 genders for you to choose from, 18 pronouns, and 19 sexual orientations for people to pick from. I mention this not to mock them, but to let you all know that this is the world that our young people are growing up in. The church needs to be the voice of clarity for those who will hear. This isn't a political speech. This is a word from the Bible for God's people to not compromise in a culture full of intimidation towards those who believe the scriptures are true. We can't compromise. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, let's just not even get out of Corinthians today. Verse 33 says this, God is not the author of confusion. 97 genders, 18 pronouns, 19 sexual orientations. Who is the author of confusion? It's the enemy who came to steal, kill, and destroy. Number three, if anyone is inclined to be contentious, Paul says, we have no other such practice, nor do the churches of God. He says, judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches 
of God. Again, we have to be very careful in how we make applications from the principles, right? Again, I showed a picture just a few minutes ago of Sean Connery. Nobody's more masculine than Sean Connery. But listen, when Harry Styles gets on the the front of GQ magazine and he's wearing a dress, it sends a completely different message to young people. Do you understand what I'm saying? So we have to be wise. We have to know what the word of God says and how it lays that foundation so we know how to apply to our lives appropriately and accurately how we can be faithful as we worship God the way that he has made us. Again, these are appropriate cultural distinctions that Paul gives for his time. And it helps to divide and to make certain that everybody knows who the males are and who the females are in the room. It was interesting in Nepal as well. I thought I had a picture of it, but I may not have. But in our worship setting, this was real interesting. Um, So it's a small little church building. We had about 50 people. Oh, there it is right there. Okay. And you can see right here in Nepal, all the men were on one side of the room and all the women were on the other side as they worshiped. Now, some of the ladies actually even had head coverings. You can see a lot of the older ones. And they did because of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which was interesting. Now, I asked the younger ladies, I was like, hey, why are they wearing head coverings? Because some of the younger ladies could speak English. And they said, well, they're wearing it because of 1 Corinthians 11. And so we let people make the choice here and what they feel uh, is, but here in our culture, it's appropriate as well that you can wear a head covering. You don't have to but you can. And so you'll see in the back, the younger ladies aren't wearing them, but they are on the side where the ladies sit and all the men are on the side where the men sit. And that's just how they worship because those distinctions matter to them in that culture. Now we're not gonna do that here at Canaan, right? But we still have to reflect appropriately within our culture what male and female relationships are. Does that make sense? And so these are just their applications, but I love that picture of how they make that very clear. The church must hold its ground on the male and female distinction. The breakdown of this truth leads to the breakdown of the home, leads to the breakdown of any society. Now, there are many people today who struggle with the idea of gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria is the feeling that some may feel that they're trapped in the body of the wrong sex. That is a legitimate issue. However, the help for those struggling with this And the loving thing to do is to not lead them down a path that denies the clarity of biology or of God's created order. That could never help, but to help them mentally through the difficulty that they are going through. Listen, we live in a fallen world and we all have thoughts and ideas and things that we have to force ourselves to conform to what the word of God says. We we all have our struggles. And so this is a safe place. We live in this world where we're all messed up. Sometimes we need counseling. Sometimes we need medicine to help our body and our mind work in harmony together so that we can live in the truth. That's just the reality of a broken world, right? The word of God is our guide though, not pop culture, amen? When someone is struggling with anorexia, their mind is convinced that they're overweight even though their body may be starving. What's the kind thing to do with that person, right? Well, I think we all know what the kind thing to do. We don't go along with the delusion to help them. That's only gonna harm them. And so what we, get to, what we try to do is we try to counsel them so that their mind can see the reality of what's going on in their body so that they can be healthy. Does that make sense? That's how we help people. We help their minds to correspond what the reality is in their bodies. 
There's a real disorder called bodily integrity disorder where people feel like a healthy limb should be cut off of their body because it doesn't belong. What's the kind thing to do in that case? To, to go down the delusion and, and help them chop off a healthy limb? Of course not, right? We want, we want to help their mind to see the reality of what's true in their body. Now listen, I'll tell you a little story. In 2018, I had this crazy massive panic attack. Thought I was dying. I thought I was having a heart attack. I was having severe chest pains. All I'm doing is watching Mary Poppins with my kids, right? She comes in with her little umbrella and I just freaked out, okay? I don't know what was going, but I ran to the hospital. I got my little Fitbit on and my, my heart's going crazy. I'm like, okay, I'm dying. This is it. This is the big one, you know? So I go to the hospital. They hook me up. The, I, I walk in the lady's like, what do you need? I, th- I think I'm dying. She's, she hooks me up to the machine. I said, I think I'm having a heart attack. Everything's getting gray, right? And I thought I was passing out. She hooks me up to the machine. Doctor comes in. He's like, well, you've had a classic panic attack, sir. I was like, no, I haven't. I'm dying. He goes, no, I promise. Everything's fine. You look really healthy. Everything. And I was like, no, I don't think you understand. I'm dying. Something's going on here. And what had happened is something broke in me. I'm not even exactly sure what broke, but here's what happened. Over the next year, over the next year, I struggled big time with anxiety, with having these crazy attacks. I had to stop drinking my coffee in the morning. <laughs> like everything was affecting me. And we had just moved here. Things began to make sense later about the stress of moving a family from the country to the suburbs and just all the things that were going on in my life had just like made my body just quit. Well, what was the reality? The reality was that I was just fine. But in my mind, you could never convince me. So what did I do? Well, I got some counseling. I was in the word. My prayer life was incredible. It's the best it's ever been. And you know what else? I take a little pill every morning that helps my body see the truth and the reality of what's going on with my mind. And it made those start to work in harmony again. Do you get where I'm coming from? We live in a broken world. And I'm grateful for that little pill. In fact, I'm pretty sure I could go off of it, but I want to tell you something. It was so miserable when I wasn't on it, I'm a little scared to stop taking that thing. But it helps me, and it helps me get through every day and to live without that horrible anxiety. Some of you know what I'm talking about probably in the room. It's no different with somebody who is struggling with the issue of gender dysphoria, but I'm here to tell you, you're struggling with anxiety, bodily integrity disorder. If you're struggling with anorexia, if you're struggling with bulimia, if you, if you have struggles, guess what? You're in the right place. If you're struggling with gender dysphoria, this is the safest place to struggle, and we invite you. We invite you to come and to hear the truth of God's word, to experience his forgiveness and the reconciling power of the cross of Jesus. That is for you if you're having a struggle. We'll meet with anyone patiently and lovingly and we'll help you embrace the truth of the scriptures because we love you and you're made in the image of God. We don't want you to feel alone. We don't want you to feel isolated. We want you to come to Jesus for forgiveness and reconciliation right where you're at in the middle of it. But listen, here's the truth. When it comes to male and female distinctions and how we worship God, Paul says this, if anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. 
We're not changing. This is what the word of God says. If we want healthy families, we want healthy societies, we want healthy churches, this is where we're at. And it's the weirdest thing ever, right? That this may cost us, but we have to be willing to go through that cost for the sake of truth and the fact that we love people. You're never gonna love people to hell without telling them the truth, right? You're just gonna love them into hell. Like, if we wanna love people to Christ, then truth has to be a part of that. And those things are not, we, we shouldn't distinguish between love and truth. We gotta be people who bring those together. Jesus was the perfect picture of that. If you don't understand it, just read the gospels. He was always truth and he was always love. And he was able to bring those things together. But we have to be people who do both because we care about lost souls. Now listen, we probably need another week in this text, but unfortunately we don't have that time. And it's amazing, but it's counting down from 14 seconds right now, so I'm right on time. Would you guys pray with me this morning? Lord, we are so grateful for your word and that you've just laid things out very clearly from the beginning. We have the book of Genesis. That's right. And on day six, you said, you know, you made male and female and you said, it is very good. Tov ma'od. And we're thankful for that, God. I just want to pray for the next generation of leaders that are in this room, all the young people that are hearing these voices on social media. They're interacting with it, maybe at their colleges or their schools. Uh, for teachers who are Christians, who might be uh, in a public space that is pushing them to do things that they know are wrong, that God, you would make us bold like lions, that you would make us strong, that we would be compassionate like Jesus, but so truthful, God, and so kind that people would say they are different. Um, we love you, God. We, we thank you for making your word clear that there's no ambiguity. We know that different, you know, there's differences in culture and things like that, but the principles are all the same. We just have to be wise in how we make application. And I just wanna pray God a blessing over Canaan Baptist Church that as we move into the future and we grow and we progress, God, that you would help us to always be faithful to your word, no matter what the culture around us does, so that people can see the light of the gospel is in that place. And they're drawn to us, Jesus, because of what you did. I remember what you said in John 3, Jesus. If I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. Help us in this place to lift you up, Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name.